Hoople. Josh Hoople Thank is you. like the way that everyone in East Tennessee pronounced his name for the first season, probably. Hoople. This is Chapel Bell Curve. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we are here to preview the upcoming 2022 football season. This is going to be the first of two episodes that come out this week from everyone's favorite idiots, uh, Justin and I. And in this <laughs> Who episode, are they? yeah, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the rest of the ICC other than UGA and a little bit of national stuff. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, uh, if this is your first time joining us, Justin, what can you expect? What for for the for those of us who this is their first issue of the comic book? What what, what is this all about that mm. we're doing here? How does one sum up Chapel Bell Curve in the last five years? So if this is your first time joining us, as we said at the top, well, we didn't say at the top. Normally, we would say, welcome to Chapel Bell Curve. This is a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. Some of those things are true. Some of those things are more true than others, I would say. I would say the most true is that this show is still about UGA football. This show is also mostly about stats. But if you have been here for years at this point, you know that this st- this show is much more about than just stats. It's also about enthusiasm and uh, the Kinsey scale for some of you that may know what I'm referring to. But it is also about uh, just all of the things that tie us together, including football. And so we are here in the off season. It's fall camp, you know. Um, we're recording this with our Discord server, uh, and so folks here are basically playing the role of all of our coaches. And they're all up in their you know, scaffolding and they're yelling down at us as we try and figure this thing out for fall camp before the season finally starts. And so we are going to most likely be, um, I say most likely be because, <laughs> who knows, we'll, we'll most likely be changing the tag, the intro catchphrase to better match what it is we're doing. Yeah. We'll also be tightening up the format, which I'm going to kick to Nathan to talk a little bit about before we actually get into it today. Right. So... If you have listened to any of this show before this week, may God have mercy on your soul first, but you would know that in season, our shows could be what would charitably be called rambling. And while we think that that is part of the charm, we'd like to, just for the purposes of our own sanity and mental health, kind of keep things a little bit tighter. So we are going to be implementing a couple of changes to the way things work. So for both our preview and our review episodes, we will be having basically dividing each episode into two segments, the qualitative segment, uh, which will be led sort of by Justin. He will be the quarterback of that segment where we'll talk about storylines and memes and, you know, just general tomfoolery, but then also sort of what, you know, traditions, experiences, our personal observations, stuff like that. Then I will be sort of quarterbacking the quantitative section, which will not only involve advanced stats, but also involve sort of what are the hard and fast takeaways that we can we can take with us going forward. So unlike, you know, in the research industry and or in academia where you would have qualitative and quantitative is like, you know, quantitative is only things that are totally not opinion based or totally based in fact and figures or whatever. Our quantitative section is going to be more about what are things that we are know to be true or at least think to be true that we can explicate and extricate from the general sort of like din of college football media and the the pomp and circumstance that surrounds it. Uh, we will also be making one other change, which is that we're no longer going to be doing our weekly Ask CBC questions uh, segment. Those will happen, 
but we don't feel like that we've been able to give them their due time and effort on our part. So we're going to be moving to like once or twice a season. We'll be doing a separate Ask CBC uh, like episode that's just listener questions. Those will probably come, you know, mm-hmm. in the bye week or an off week or when we just don't have a lot to say about the game coming up if we're playing, you know, Samford or Georgia Tech or something, some team that we know that we're going to beat. I know, we're going to do a Georgia Tech mm-hmm. review. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we think that these <laughs> things will help us, well, A, like help us do this job quicker and therefore have less of an impact on our mental health in a negative and positive way. Mm-hmm. And also give you something that's a little bit more listenable. I think that even our biggest fans would say that can be kind of James Joycean at times to listen to this podcast. So we'd like to sort of keep the organization on track. Uh, For some reason, Justin and I are highly organized people in our professional lives who have never bothered to sit down and organize this show until like 72 hours ago. And then we sat down and did it. And it was like, oh, wow, we're good at this, aren't we? So we're just trying to implement it a little bit. It's funny. We we say all these things, but... I was just going to say, I, I think we, it's funny that we say all these things and we, you know, dog ourselves, but I think we make a pretty good show, but also no, yeah, it, we do. it could be better. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, I think the stuff that we've done in the past is great, but also in those five years since we started, started the show, like I have become a much better professional and I'm sure Justin would mm-hmm. agree for himself as well. Like, you know, this, the skills that I've learned in my career, because I have a career that's about communication and organization and planning I've gotten a lot better at them. And until we met last week, we hadn't really put any of those new skills to work in, uh, in the production of the show. And I think that hopefully we'll give you a better product going forward. So one other change. That is the uh, intent. Yeah. One more change that we're going to do here at the, uh, the last change is that we are going to be having a weekly, I guess we'll call him guest host, we're going to bring, be bringing in Ross Rutledge every week. Ross Rutledge, Ross is the proprietor of uh, R2 Analytics. He is a person who is originally a patron of this fine podcast who sort of helped us develop some numbers. And he's now sort of spun out his own, I don't think it's quite a business, but his own website and has a lot of really good and interesting metrics that we're going to be using throughout the semester. Uh, CBC R squared is one that we're going to be talking about uh, heavily today, which is a regression model that he and some of us in the discord have been working on uh, like sort of a, uh, it's, it's very complicated, but it just gives you points above average, very similar to like S and P plus, but then we have another model or he has another model that's going to be debuting in the next few weeks. Uh, that I don't want to reveal the na- name of because I don't know if he settled on the name that is going to be use machine learning and we think be like a very sophisticated algorithm that will allow us to predict games and talk about, you know, beating the spread. And so we'll have maybe a little bit more Las Vegas content with uh, with Ross on the week to week. And he's going to be coming in our preview shows, uh, which our plan as it stands now is that we'll release our review shows every Monday and our preview show will come out every Wednesday. Uh, and so he's going to be on the Wednesday show kind of giving us his expertise, his predictions, and then what he thinks his best bets are. So you'll hear that later on. We're recording that at a separate time than right now, full disclosure. So, uh, you'll, we'll intro him then more, but, uh, mm-hmm. I guess the last thing is to talk about the Patreon. The reason that we're still doing this even. Where we get into the, the is the that the reason the why we're still doing this? Well, I mean, okay, let me rephrase. 
the Patreon, which is one of the avenues through which this has become a sustainable project. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Let's go with that. Yeah, That's so, better. So, well, talk to us about the Patreon. Oh, yeah. So we, we have a, a, a lovely little Patreon community uh, that has helped us remain sustainable. It pays for us to continue doing this thing. Um, at least all of the, you know, the hardware, the software, all those things keep this thing going. Um, and we're very thankful for it. And, you know, it's still the exact same Patreon as before. It's just a dollar. You can contribute just a dollar of your money or you can listen to this thing for free. Um, we do this out of the kindness and of our hearts. And it's also a something we can throw on our Google calendar for Nathan and I to have an excuse to hang out and talk mm -hmm. for however many hours it is that we do each week, yeah. which is a, a non-zero amount as well. <laughs> I, I mean, and to be to be totally honest, the I, I would say that the one of the biggest reasons that we do this show, I mean, obviously the biggest reason that we do the show is that we're friends, but I think the reason that this show has had any kind of longevity is because of the amazing community that we have over at our Discord server. Uh, which is that's the base level. You, you put one dollar in, you're in the Discord. We also offer things mm -hmm. like unedited recordings of the show. You'll get your own personal podcast feed that has all of the stuff that we have to take out because it would get us fired in it. And then if you give, I mm -hmm. think at least five dollars, you get access to our show notes, which used to be kind of like a, a minimal positive, but now that I have applied everything that I've learned in the lab in the dojo <laughs> about Google documents to this notes sheet. It is now, it is a work of extreme uh, and elegant violence. It is, it is like a sword that has been forged. It is perfect and beautiful and I love everything about it. So you can also see those as well. Uh, and I don't know if you'd like to check it out. We we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you here on the discord listening to us live right now. It is patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. So that's the one. Let, let's do this. Let's let's start our the the first of hopefully many episodes in this format. And before we get into UGA proper, I think that it's important for us to sort of set the context of this upcoming season that UGA will have by talking about the rest mm. of the SEC and then some national stuff. So, Justin, qualitative, what what are we looking at here? What are some storylines? You know, yeah. chin, chin wagon season all around season. the SEC. Yeah. Some chin yeah, so this section will be a lot of that history, storylines, trivia. We like to start big and we get real granular is kind of uh, our, our sort of shtick here. But um, things going on, you know, I think it's really exciting. This will probably be the very first season since 2019 that is not going to be, that's me knocking on wood, interrupted by um, the pandemic. And that's only because, you know, I think that we've gotten to a place, at least with you know, college football where they just don't worry too much about it. And I'm not going to talk any more about that, but just something to be aware of and acknowledge that this is going to be probably the first one in some time where it hasn't been as big of an idea or a big of a deal. Um, so other things going on, you know, Georgia is the reigning champion. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk this year about whether or not they are, uh, you know, there's a good differentiation that you actually put it here at Aether in the notes. Are they reloading or are they, um, rebuilding is is really important and i think that there is a point where we actually make a change from one to the other and that is really more indicative of, of you know how far the school and the dynasty has come uh in the last several years under kirby smart and all those that came before him but um we have to worry about bama is bama on the warpath and can texas a and m you know the 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 
the pupil that beat their sensei in a duel last year, um, are they going to be able to close the gap? So what are your thoughts on those two ideas? Because I really think that if we're not worried about like LSU, that Texas A&M and Bama are really what we have to think about over in the SEC West. What do you think? Well, okay, first of all, I think you could see if you are a person who's watched a lot of Nick Saban press appearances, which unfortunately or fortunately I am, I think you could see that Nick's pretty <laughs> confident uh, looking at his just demeanor, his, I don't know, body language at the SEC media days, which again, that is not the sort of like quantitative stuff that you expect from us, but here, that's why it's in the qualitative section. I, I think the general rule of thumb is uh, you don't want to face Bama the year after you beat them. Um, and you definitely mm-hmm. don't want to face them the year after they've lost the national championship. And and TAMU's specific, and Texas A&M's specific, you know, pro, uh, specific case, the real problem they're going to have is you don't want to play Alabama the season after your coach talked a lot of mad smack about Nick Saban in the offseason. Uh, this was, you know, recently there was a little bit of a kerfuffle about NIL, not NIL, about, yeah, NIL, name, image, and likeness. And basically, mm-hmm. you know, Nick Saban implied that uh, Texas A&M was using NIL as a recruiting inducement uh, instead of just, you know, players being paid for their name, image, and likeness. Now, they are, for sure, uh, but so is everybody else. And Jimbo uh, Fisher being the sort of, like, dedicated to talking out of his ass hilljack that he is, decided to poke the bear (laughs) and just, like, called a press conference to talk, like, five to 10 minutes of dedicated trash about Nick Saban. And here's the thing, man, mm-hmm. that's stupid. I, our numbers, which we could talk about later, show that, tell us that right now that Bama is a better team than Texas A&M. But even if they were close, I, dude, you don't want to give Nick Saban, Nick Saban a reason to be angry at you, right? I still think Nick Saban intentionally mm-hmm. lost to Georgia Southern so that he could fire his team up in, I think, 2008, 2007, something like that. Right. I, I, I think that he is a master motivator. He's a master manipulator. And if you give him a reason to have grievance, which he should not have any room to have grievance as a college football coach. But if you give him a reason to have great grievance, he's going to take you apart, like vivisect you like some sort of like disgusting medieval, you know, like anatomy textbook. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, <laughs> I, I think that I would I would pick take Bama by like 20 points over at Texas A&M right now. Just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Boy. So I, I assume then we still have Bama at the top of the SEC West, and we'll get into the quantitative piece of that very soon. Yes. And then where would you, who would you sit at number two then at that point? I mean, I think it's it's Texas A&M, but I think it's like mm-hmm. Bama, a gap, Texas A&M, another gap. Our, our numbers, I say our numbers, but Ross's numbers have the, the sort of third person under the gap as Mississippi State which I kind of agree. I think they're going to have a good offense. And there's a whole leech. Mike Leach teams in year three tend to do very well. And then another gap and then Auburn. But the really big da- gap mm. between, you know, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Auburn, and Alabama, it, it's, it's right there. It's between one and two. There's like a eight, nine, ten point gap there. And then I kind of think we could be seeing like sort of this uh, – what's it? What's the word? Crabs in a bucket, SEC West, where you have these teams like – <laughs> Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Auburn just beating each other and getting each other's coaches fired, you know? Uh, well, mm. in Auburn's case. And 
you know, the real, I, it's going to be interesting if the, the big seminal game that we all think is going to be like the, the moment in the SEC West this year, Alabama, Texas A&M, that, for that to matter, Texas A&M has to win all their games running up to the Alabama game, right? And so, like, I, I, I kind of think that the SEC West is like the, uh, the old, like, Old West shootout where everyone shoots each other and then everyone's dead. And then Alabama walks out of mm-hmm. the, the outhouse and it's like, what happened? You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. Alabama's going to be good this year, <laughs> but, you know. So let's look over at the SEC East then. So we have, of course, Georgia is who we would assume is on top. And I know the numbers will most likely back that up. But let's talk about who we think is kind of running up and who's going to give us a bit more of a run for our money this year. You know, there is, of course, Kentucky. But I feel like at this point, the last few years, people have been talking about Kentucky being uh, the next big thing for some time. And they've had splashes of greatness. And they've shown us that they are a team that is growing. They're actually, you know, recruiting pretty okay. And they're returning folks um, year to year. And I know that the last two years, they had a couple 10 win seasons. um, And so they're looking up. But then on the flip side, we have Tennessee, who you know, last year was a weird season. The year before that was a weird season. It just kind of kept being weird for them. Um, but for the first time in quite some time, they have some consistency in Josh Hoople, uh, and they actually have a lot of really dynamic returning offensive players. And so uh, are those two teams, Kentucky and Tennessee, for you at least, the teams that we have to be afraid of in the SEC East? Or are we going to be talking more about Florida this year uh, instead of one of these two or even both of these two? Well, well. First of all, I want to pause. I don't know if you just mispronounced Josh Heupel's name, or you were just making fun of oh, his I name. Oh, I did. But that, I think we should leave that in because Josh Hoople is a great Hoople. Josh Hoople Thank is you. like the way that everyone in East Tennessee pronounces his name for the first season, probably. Hoople. Um, yeah, well, it's exactly. Because this is you know, off season is all about like that's a name I remember. Is that how I say it? I'm going to say it confidently because that's how I remember it. Um, Josh Heupel. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. So, you know, people on Scheme Twitter, which I am not on because I don't know a lot about Scheme, but I read a lot of their tweets, kind of think that Josh Heupel's offense, which is the UCF offense, which is also derivative of the Art Briles Baylor offense, uh, it, they think that that offense is sort of like, I don't know, like the the Mickey Mouse, I think I've seen it described as. It's sort of a an offense that you deploy in order to overcome your other personnel disadvantages, right? Uh, similar to the way something like the the sort of uh, traditional single wing triple option was used by Georgia Tech and is still used by the academies, et cetera. Uh, I, I don't know how worried I am about them. I feel like that a lot of Tennessee success last year was based on the fact that they this is an I feel thing, so I don't know. But I feel like this is a lot of Tennessee mm-hmm. success was based on the fact that like defensive coordinators didn't have a chance to adopt and or to adapt and evolve their their defensive alignments to what they were doing. And I I wonder if Tennessee's offense is going to be something sort of in the vein of like the way Leach's offense was at Mississippi State, or you know how Mummy's offense before him in that tree, or you know there've just been off their offenses that are simplified and that's a boon, but it also becomes something where they, it makes them easier to cover. And so mm-hmm. for that reason, as long of, as well as a host of others, not, not the least of which is the NCAA, NCAA you know, hurting them. Um, I don't see Tennessee as a threat that much. Uh, I think the two that I would look at are, like you said, Kentucky, lots of continuity. Will Levis is coming back. And then I actually think USC, I think one of my weird pet, like, 
Mm. One of my weird pet like theories is that I actually think Spencer Rattler is good. I, yeah. I I don't do the NFL thing, but like NFL people think that he has like incredible arm talent or whatever. He he can throw the ball a mile. Uh, he's not necessarily Cl- great. Clean over the mountains. He's not. Yeah, Uncle Rico style. He's not. I don't think a guy. Obviously, based on his Oklahoma experience, he's not a guy that's in like the Patrick Mahomes camp of like really good at. Um, I mean, like occasionally, if you put him in a Patrick Mahomes situation where he's scrambling around and the play is broken down, he will make a stupid, stupid decision, right? But that's not what they're going to do with him at USC, right? He's going to be under center. I think I saw something about how like they were deliberately putting him under center uh, at USC and one of their, I was on their 24 7 site or whatever. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think in that sort of framework of an offense that is a little bit more structured in NFL style, whatever that means at this point, and also, you know, where he can be utilized as a runner and have be forced to improvise left, I think he could actually be pretty good. I think I think uh Shane Beamer is, you know, not a guy that I thought was gonna be a great coach. I thought he was a nepotism baby, but I think <laughs> I, I don't know. I think USC is going to get somebody. I think Spitzer Rattler is just really good. And yeah, he's going to throw way too many pick sixes this year, probably. But I, I don't know that he's going to yeah. get UGA, but he is talented enough to be recruited and to play on a team that wanted to play UGA in the national title. Right. And anytime you have that talent, I think that they're going to be a very high variance team that gets someone. Uh, so that that those would be the two I would look at would be Kentucky because Will Levis is Will Levis, uh, and we'll see what that means. And then also uh, South Carolina. I really like genuinely don't want to play South Carolina, like like the third week hmm. in the season. And at like say what you want about South Carolina, but like they have a serious home atmosphere on the September game. I mean they have a serious home atmosphere all the time, but like in particular playing South Carolina like in September at noon sucks like i've gone to several of those games it is it is like it is like hell on earth right it is going to be the the wettest humidest muggiest just like cloyingly wet heat that you've ever experienced and like that is an that's an advantage for them and i think you know obviously i think not obviously but i think uj is going to win the game but it is also a game that like i am ready to have a tight butthole during that game i'm ready to be clinching (laughs) like and maybe we just getting ready. Well, it's like maybe that's just like my I haven't quite overcome my sort of like years of un uh untreated trauma about UGA, but that that seems like the game that's going to scare me. Uh another big narrative I know that's being talked about this season and and we'll probably get into it a little bit in just a moment is that UGA is favored in every single one of their games and people are I've read a lot of articles, seen a lot of titles talking about titles of articles, excuse me, talking about how Georgia is most likely going to make their way back to at the very least the playoffs at the very most back to the national championship game. Are you ready to start talking about that or at least thinking about that? Or are you in still like the way too early to know way too early to even dream place Um, that you sometimes are at the beginning of the season? I think UGA should go at worst 11 and one on the regular season. I don't know that mm-hmm. this is a year that you're going to get Bama. I think UGA is talented enough yep. to get Bama on a year in and year out se- season. I think that that last year, if we're talking about like storylines, last year, if anything, proved that UGA program health wise is at parity with Alabama. Now we can talk about who has better coaches or whatever. That doesn't matter. What I'm talking about is like 
the full building that is the UGA football program mm-hmm. has just a solid foundation, has just as much money put into it as the building that is Alabama's football program. So in that sense, like I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I no longer feel like Bama is this like, you know, impossible hill to climb for UGA. But I also think a Bama has the two best defensive ends in the nation. Uh, they have mm-hmm. a Heisman quarterback returning they seem to be able to grow scary wide receivers on trees. They took a very mm-hmm. high level uh, wide receiver transfer, I think, from Louisville. Th- from this us. and from us, yeah. And this is the kind of year that lines up to be a Bama like smashes people into smithereens 2000 level year, it's 2011 kind of style year. I don't think they're going to have statistically the defense that UGA had last year, but I do think that this is a year where they're going to have like one of those not those like non offensive touchdown years, like circa 2012 Bama where they just like can grind you to dust because they have Jameer Gibbs, the transfer from Georgia tech. They have uh, Bryce young, the Heisman winning quarterback. They have mm-hmm. two, two, the two, probably one and two most disruptive pass rushers. And what Will Anderson's probably the best college football player in, in football or college football, the best player in college football. So in terms of expectations, yes, I think it is a disappointment if we don't go to the sec championship You've got probably your most talent-rich, uh, your most talent-rich competitor in your division is on a new coach, right? I mean, we haven't talked about Billy Napier. I think what he's doing at Florida is kind of interesting, but he is kind of rebuilding that place from the studs. I think in some ways, you have very little—not very little—but you don't have the kind of like high recruiting talent, blue chip, blue chip ratio teams in your division. You should win the division. You should go to the SEC championship. I would not put mm-hmm. any bets on this at all. I think this might be if, I mean, I guess we're kind of spoiling the UGA preview, but to me overall, the narrative <laughs> is like, this feels like maybe a sugar bowl, a very good sugar bowl team. Cause I just don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe you lose to Alabama and you go to the, the playoff anyway, which I mean, sure. That seems likely. I mean, it happened last year, but I also just don't know, man, Alabama's good, dude. Like they're good. They're really real. They're going to be really good this year. And I mean, in Ohio state, I mean, much less Alabama, Ohio state has just like hell on wheels offense. Like right this year. Now, if they don't have any linebackers this year, then it's not going to matter because they're going to lose to Michigan or Michigan state in some humiliating fashion, which L freaking LOL, but (laughs) they're going to score a lot of points. And I just, I don't know, man. I is is eleven and one SEC title or twelve and zero or twelve and zero SEC game participant and you know losing the first round of the playoffs or losing a, a New Year's Six Bowl is that a disappointment? I don't know, but that's kind of what I overall. That's kind of how I feel that it lies out, lays out rather. Yeah. So I have some uh, sort of just quick lightning round uh, qualitative moments just to kind of throw at you real quick, just to get your answers. You ready? Okay. Will Brian Kelly sweat himself to death this year? I think there's like, you know how they like, there have been a lot of like, because we've had this horrible, like extreme weather event summer, all these climate change influence heat waves and stuff. There've been a lot of graphics about like heat stroke versus heat exhaustion, right? Like Brian Kelly looked mm-hmm. like that like 20 years ago. So in <laughs> Death Valley in 2022, I, yeah, I think he's gonna, if he is not in an IV, at some point this year, I will be shocked. 
<laughs> be disappointed, in fact. Also, what will the next absurd Cajun reach for, for him be? You know, um, is he going to develop a deeper Cajun accent? Is he going to only eat crawfish at every meal? Is he going to, like, name his next child Beignet? Like, what do you think is going to be the thing that really does him in? I think he is going to eat Cajun food in a wildly inappropriate way. You know, like, how people always <laughs> made fun? They make fun of, like, when celebrities eat like uh, New York style pizza with a fork. Like he's going to do something mm -hmm. like that. He's going to have like, like he's going to have like a bowl of gumbo and be eating it with like a teaspoon with his pinky out or whatever. Like, and that I think is mm -hmm. what's going to do it. He's not going to have the proper. And we won't know. Oh, you know what? He's not going to suck the heads of crawfish. Cause you'll think it's gross. That's probably what it is. Yep. I like it. So will you Nathan make it the entire season without yelling about Bo Nicks? No, I won't. The Oregon preview is still Absolutely happening. Not. So, but it does seem like we could stop talking about him after the first game. So maybe we'll be able to. That's true. Will a newly fired Brian Harson option the rights to his time at Auburn to make the weirdest telenovela in the history of the world? I mean, we can only hope, right? Like I, I, I hope so. Brian Harson seems like a really weird dude. Uh, and Auburn is a really weird place, but they are not, they, they have like the, What's the, the thing in science where you have, oh, destructive interference. It's like, they both have mm -hmm. weird wavelengths, but their wavelengths are not synchronous. Like the Auburn, Brian Harson <laughs> wavelengths are like gonna shake the building apart, I think. And I think the very last thing you had on here, you wanted to talk about, you have a note about the, uh, I think it's the imperialist or the imperial map for- Oh yeah. Uh, I, I just wanna I, like- tell, tell us about this. So this is a, a Reddit, college football subreddit sort of project that I think it's been run by several different people, but uh, the, the NCAA football imperialism map where at the beginning of every mm -hmm. season, the each team has like control of the territory where in each County where their campus is closest is the closest like CFB football team, you know, like division one football team. And then when you win, you get other people's territory. When you lose, you lose all your territory. So UGA ended with the high ended not only winning the um, national championship, but having the largest uh, fife at the end of last year. So that's something I'm going to be looking ah. at going forward is the CFB imperialism map. I, I'm, I think it's, I I've love maps really it. and this is one of my favorite weird maps is the, the CFB <laughs> imperialism map. Um, so let's start dialing in a little bit tighter. You think? Yes. Uh, yes. We can talk about uh, what sort of numbers um, can tell us about these sort of narratives that we've been talking about. And um, do the numbers, do the stats tell us that we should be afraid of the people we think we're afraid of, or we shouldn't be afraid of the people we're afraid of, especially the, the folks like the Tennessees and the USCs? Like, what do the numbers really tell us, uh, and do we have enough to really go off of here? Yeah, so before we really get into this proper, I do want to talk about the numbers we're going to be using today, we're going to be using CBCR squared, which is the aforementioned Ross Rutledge's and several other people at uh, on our Chapel Bell Curve server who have worked on this. Uh, Stephen Shaduin, uh, I know I'm saying his name wrong. I'm very sorry. Ryan Moore has been doing it. Stephen Joyner has been working with us. Both of the Stevens are doctors, so I guess Doctor Stephen and Doctor Stephen have been working on this. Um, but so CBCR squared is a R squared predictive model. Uh, R squared is a type of regression analysis. It doesn't matter to get into it 
the, the specifics of it. But <laughs> what does matter is that it is a model that incorporates a lot of on-field factors, including talent. Some of the big five factors that uh, Bill Connolly identified all those years ago. So efficiency, finishing drives, home runs, like big plays, right? Explosive plays, especially emphasizing uh, big, uh, what is it? Explosive scoring plays, right? And it rolls those into uh, a math formula that is way too complicated for me to understand. And it spits out what basically is average points scored against an average team, right? So Mm -hmm. we have offensive CBCR2 ratings, uh, defensive CBRC uh, squared ratings, and then your overall rating is your offense minus your defense, right? So it's like the average points you would, the, the, the average points you would score against an average team minus the average points that you would give up against an average team. So that's what CBR squared is. We're going to be updating it throughout the year, I believe. It's sort of like a power rank, uh, sort of top 25 allows us to kind of do some quick comparison. We'll be having a more in-depth sort of like um, predictive against the spread model debut in a few weeks that we'll talk about, I think, in our organ preview. But until then, we're going to be using CBR squared. So that's what all these numbers come from. Uh, one of, the other important thing to talk about is that one of the elements that we include is returning production, and another one is composite talent. We don't have the 24-7 composite talent numbers, which we have been using. We've used in the past to do this, so we've basically like inferred out those numbers based on the data that we already have. Uh, so these these numbers might not be properly talent adjusted. So there's a couple of like uh, there's a couple of teams that I think maybe are overrated or underrated on this list. But anyway, that's a long way of saying this is just sort of where our numbers put them. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, then giant gap. We have CBCR squared, the overall rating uh, of Georgia's 25.1, Alabama's 20, or sorry, Ohio State's 24.76, and then Alabama's 24.75. So those are close enough that they might as well just be like, you know, one one A, one B, one C. We have Georgia on top right now because we really like their defense and we think their offense is underrated, but who knows? Our fourth place team we have is Notre Dame, which we have eight points below Ohio State Jeez. and Alabama. Uh, so we we see like a, a top three and then a sacrificial lamb as the fourth person uh, <laughs> in the college football playoff. Uh, you know, SEC centrically, the couple of interesting things, uh, Texas A&M. We're going to have a really good defense. We have them at about 10 points below or nine to 10 points below UGA and Alabama, but we have them, I think like in the top 10 in offense and in the top three in defense. Uh, so if we sort by offense, because Ryan Moore developed a really good sorter for our CBCR squared webpage, which we will put links to all of this in the, in the show notes. But um, we see, Texas A&M as having the fifth best defense in the nation, only behind Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame. Um, so in that sense, like there is a reason to talk about the Texas A&M Alabama game. Uh, and this, that might be like a big point where we, where our numbers differ from what I said, which is you never bet against Nick Saban when he has grievance. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, unlike their defense, uh, we have Texas A&M's offense rated, Oh God, hold on! Surely I missed missed this. We have them rated seven. <laughs> Sorry, I thought they were like thirtieth okay. or something. So, uh, sort of a step back. Um, you know, I I'm not sure how much I believe those numbers, just because maybe I'm I'm just a simp for Nick Saban. But um, 
our numbers would say that that game should be relatively close, like within two touchdowns. Um, let's see. And the only other thing, a couple other things in the SEC, we have Florida uh, in, in the top 25. We have Georgia, Alabama from the SEC. We have Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, Tennessee we have coming in at 10. Uh, we think that they have a very good offense, uh, good for like top 10 offense, and then just a pretty mediocre defense. Uh, then we have Mississippi State, again, similar kind of uh, thing. Uh, just as good an offense, worse defense than Tennessee, probably. Then we have LSU, weirdly, uh, Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, Arkansas in our top 25. Uh, a couple of numbers of note from those, um, those initial sort of rankings. Our numbers really believe in Mississippi State's offense. Uh, we have them at 35.6 CBCR squared offensively. I think that that sort of scales up that like top 10-ish offense kind of matches up with the narrative that I think I've heard a lot of people talk about it, which is that like Mike Leach teams in the third year tend to gel pretty well. Um, other things that I think are interesting, I think Auburn is pretty high. Um, that's less to do with Auburn's actually talent and more to do with the fact that Auburn seems primed for like a very talented dumpster fire season. Uh, they have a lot coming back on defense. They have, it looks like a pretty good defense coming back and their offense should be, you know, above average. Um, so they should be a good team. They have a lot of talent, but I think one of the deviations between qualitative and quantitative with Auburn is just like, there's so much palace intrigue. The whole coaching staff seems ready to go, ready to blow up. If they lose a stupid game, they lose to Penn State early in the year or they lose a game they shouldn't to an SEC West team. You got to think that that's going to be kind of the end of the line for not just that coaching staff, but that team. Um, our numbers don't like Kentucky quite as much as some others. We actually have them at 18th behind LSU. Uh, again, like good offense below or uh, above average to average defense. Um, LSU seems a little high ranked to me, but that's just because like uh, LOL Brian Kelly but our numbers don't see the LOL Brian Kelly uh, the way that we do. You know, we don't see him sweating and having a fake Cajun accent. We just see what they're returning. Um, Florida being in the top 25 is interesting. I mean, certainly a talented team, but, you know, I'm not sure that I believe those numbers just from a narrative standpoint, too, because I think Billy Napier has been very clear. And this is something the Split Zone Duo guys have talked about a lot. But if you look at Billy Napier's media appearances, he's been very clear that they are they are remaking this program right and mm -hmm. you know dan mullen for all of his ability as a offensive coach had pro proved to not be a a deft program builder right and and so i think yeah. the combination of you're trying to remake your program but also you're losing like one of the best offensive play callers in the nation i i, I do think that 21 for florida is probably a touch high uh but of course our numbers don't see the lol dan mullen part of it so let me ask you this then, as we're looking at all this, one thing that you mentioned earlier while we were talking about the qualitative side of things and sort of the narratives and the storylines was that you were afraid of South Carolina. And I don't see South Carolina on this. Is there anything that the stats could tell us that would indicate one thing or another about how afraid we should be or yeah. I guess sort of uh, substantiated that substantiates that fear that you're kind of sharing? Yeah, so... Okay, so just by frame of reference, we have uh, UGA's net CBCR squared scores 25.1. Uh, so 25.1 points better than the average team. We have South Carolina 
down at 58th in the nation. Their net score is 2.55. They're an average team based on our numbers. A couple of reasons that I would say that. One, you know, we have South Carolina as having a pretty bad or just basically average offense, average defense. If you add a high variance quarterback to an average offense, he can make a great offense for one game. So that would be my first mm-hmm. concern. Now, the numbers would tell you that this should be, a, I don't know, 23 touchdown win for Georgia. And I still think that, that it's likely. Like, that's the that's the highest percentage chance. That's the center of the bell curve is, is a multi-touchdown Georgia win. But I think if the history of the recent SEC, and in particular, if you think about sort of the pre-Lane Kiffin era Alabama, is that if you're going to get a team that's built like Georgia, you have to do it on the back of a, like, dynamic quarterback who basically is unconsciously good. Right, that we we saw this happen with Ole Miss a couple of times. We've seen it happen across the nation, where you just have like the right quarterback on the right day can beat anybody. And the reason I wasn't concerned with South Carolina last year was a, I thought they were building, and b, they were starting a guy who was like my age at quarterback. Right, Spencer Radler is not my age. Right, he is a <laughs> a, a possible NFL player. I'm not saying he's like a a, a certified gonna play in the NFL, right? But like he is a guy who if he plays in the NFL, we wouldn't be shocked, right? And that is the recipe that you need for an upset, even against the numbers, what the numbers tell you. Also, I guess that also just is like my general doubt in Tennessee's realness. Like I think Tennessee has a good offense that you can stop if you have a lot of talent. And I don't think their defense is going to be very good. We have them in like we have them as a you know top 10, 15-ish offense, uh, and then a – yeah. oh, no, yeah, we, have, we actually have them as a top five offense, right? But then defensively, we okay. have them as a – I'm going to have to scroll down the list a little bit here. Let's see. Defensively, we have them in the 30s or 40s, right? So I, I just – I think that – if you believe, like I do, that UGA is going to have a pretty good defense this year, even with uh, even with how much it's replacing, and you believe, like I do, that you know Georgia has probably the best stable of cornerback coaches in the nation between Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, uh, and uh, Fran Brown, then I think that Tennessee would be something that I would not be as concerned about, right? Their offense is explosive and it's high variance in the sense that they're throwing a bunch of like one-on-one back of the shoulder balls to the sideline, but it's not an offense. It it does what it's going to do. Right. And it doesn't have the dynamism of like suddenly Spencer Rattler just like eats his Wheaties and scores 35 points. So far as I can tell. So one thing you mentioned a moment ago while we were talking through the top 25 for CBCR squared was there is a big top three and then there's a fourth piece that is probably going to be something wild like you know maybe we'll get a cincinnati bearcat situation or you know michigan felt very odd and out of place last year but they just had a crazy run so based on these numbers not just the numbers but if we look a little bit maybe even at the sort of schedules and who might be set up best to take that number four spot who do we think could see college football playoffs other than these top three teams potentially I mean, our numbers say... And we can take a second to look at it. No, yeah, I can't believe I'm about to say these words out loud in this order. But our numbers say the number four team is Notre Dame. Uh, we really like Notre Dame's mm-hmm. defense. We have them as 
a top five defense in the nation. We have them as also a top 10 offense in the nation. If Marcus Freeman can deliver on the promise that he's been selling, which is being, you know, a very dynamic coach with a, a lot of recruiting acumen, but also offer like a sense of continuity. Notre Dame is always well positioned to get in the college football playoff because of what their independent status brings them. And really in terms of, I, I think in terms of schedule, this year is no different than any other, right? If we look at their schedule from top to bottom, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're playing some kind of gimme game, not gimme, but they're playing some lower tier games. Like they're playing Marshall, they're playing Navy, they play Navy every year. They're playing Boston College, UNLV, but then they play Ohio State September third. Uh, they play September seventeenth. They play Cal, who they're going to beat, but that's still a high profile game. They play UNC September twenty fourth, who is not going to be as good, but still. High profile game. They play BYU October 8th. BYU under Kalani Sataki is good. Then they play Stanford, mm-hmm. not as good, but still a big name. You know, they play Syracuse, but then they play at towards the end of the season, they play Clemson and they play Navy, Boston College, who they should beat easily, and then Notre Dame. But like Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, as long as they don't get vaporized in that Ohio State game, which is, by the way, their first game of the season, I think they have a decent. Mm. Path to the playoff. If they can keep that, if they can keep that Ohio State game within ten points, I think really it sets up pretty well. Uh, another team that we actually are yeah. numbers like, but you know who knows, uh, is we have Clemson fifth, uh, which sort of makes sense. Clemson has an incredibly talented defense, uh, very unsettled at the quarterback position. And that, that's sort of what our numbers tell us, right? They, we have them as the third best defense in the nation and having a above average, slightly above average to average offense, right? Uh, I think that probably reflects the fact that DA, DJ Uolongale did not turn out the way that we expect, you know, every five-star Clemson quarterback to turn out. There's evidence that shows that Clemson thinks that they have the, the next guy. His name's Cade Kubnick, I think. He is... I don't know, the next stereotypical Clemson quarterback. He's six two and a half, 186 pounds. He was the number one quarterback in the nation last year. He was the number one quarterback in, um, or sorry, the number six quarterback in the nation, I believe, or no, six in the nation overall, and then the number one pro-style quarterback in the nation. Uh, he is like the next annoying hairdo good Clemson quarterback. So Clemson's schedule <laughs> lines up such that like, they play Georgia Tech at the beginning of the year. Then they play Furman, LaTeX, Wake Forest. And then October 1st, they kind of start their real schedule when they play um, NC State. Um, but I think those first four weeks really work out well for them to figure out their offense. Because this is a team that even last year held the eventual national championship champions to one non-offensive touchdown. Right? You know, like yeah. no offensive touchdowns in a game that they lost. If you have a quarterback that doesn't just like run around like he doesn't know what he's doing and throw the ball away, not that he's not talented, then I think that Clemson really could fill that spot well. Uh, You know, in terms of the Cincinnati Bearcats role, um, the one who fits that the best in our numbers is Utah. We have Utah eighth. Uh, They look Mm -hmm. like they have a pretty good defense, you know, top 10-ish defense and an above average offense. They kind of profile as like, a slightly worse version of Notre Dame. Uh, the advantage that they would have in terms of reaching the playoff is that their schedule gives them uh, gives them a path that Notre Dame does not. Right. So they start the game. Yeah. They start the year with a high profile uh, matchup against Florida. 
a, a team and they are probably going to whip Florida's ass, right? Uh, they play, you know, they then have a pretty easy stretch where they play Southern Utah, San Diego State, Arizona State, Oregon State, Utah, or sorry, Arizona State, UCLA, going into the USC game on October 15th. So like in on October 15th, there's a pretty good chance that Utah comes into the USC game uh, 6-0 and and ranked in the top 10 nationally. They beat USC, then they mm-hmm. play Washington State, Arizona, Stanford, all of whom are some mix of meh to bad and then they play uh oregon on november 19th and then colorado for this last game so like there's a chance that utah is like consistently in the top 10 with a path to the playoff through a power five uh a power five conference and you know able to just kind of cruise all the way in i would say if i was going to guess like who's the team who's never been to the cfb before that goes my guess would be utah because i think their path even the path even though the pac-12 is not as good as these other uh, these other conferences that actually gives them an easier path, right? If you beat Oregon and USC, you're probably gonna have to play one of them in a rematch. But if you beat them once, you can do it again, right? Uh, and mm. the, who's the hardest team on your schedule? I mean, unless you think that USC is gonna really turn it around in the first year against uh, under Lincoln Riley, which I mean, I don't know, but to me, it doesn't seem very likely. USC, who by the way, we have as yeah, we have USC 49th in the nation. So we have them as a slightly above average, but not great team. So I think Utah is really the the sort of closest thing we're going to get to the Cincinnati Bearcats this year. Yeah, I, you know, one team that I think that we may see um, that we've seen you know, sparks of the last few years, the ACC seems like it is sort of mixing things up. Clemson is, you know, it's different, <laughs> different situation than it has been in past years. And last year really showed that, but I think that my way too early to predict um, fourth team, fifth team, or a team that just might surprise us is going to be someone like NC State. And we have NC State. I would like to know what the numbers say about them. Well, we have them 23rd this year. Uh, They are, Mm -hmm. I think they're one of those teams looking at the numbers. Hold on, let me sort real quick. Yeah, NC State is one of those teams that we have 23rd by the virtue of having a above average offense and an above average defense Mm -hmm. if that makes sense they sometimes when you have you know you have these combined power rankings one of the things that gives you a a higher rating is just not being bad at anything and our our numbers kind of think that mc state is going to be just like a solids team we have them like in the top 20 offensively and then defensively we have them one Seventeenth, so like that is a that's an easy top twenty team, and if you believe that they can finally shake the Wolfpack curse, then I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's like an it's sort of like a Bearcat situation as well, just because it's a team that hasn't they don't have a lot of experience at that level, and uh, as someone in our Discord just said, they'll probably get messed with, with by the committee or something because it's going to be one of those situations where yeah, they're a Power Five. Um, conference team, but unless they do something pretty stellar, I think that they'll be overlooked by one of the teams with more of like a dynastic quality or a Notre Dame. You know, if they're sitting on the same level as Notre Dame and they've both put up good games against teams with, you know, years and years and years of status, um, they'll probably be overlooked. But my fingers are crossed to see NC State go. I mean, another team who has as decent a chance. A good season. A team that has a decent chance as anybody is Michigan. And the reason I would say that is like. Mm-hmm. Michigan, if you go undefeated into the Ohio State game, you might be able to knock Ohio State out of playoff 
competition. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's not likely, but having being in this, be, having to play one of the best teams in the nation every year gives you the advantage of not having to worry about like will we make it or won't we? Like Michigan is in a win all your games and you're in situation, which is I guess always true for these big name schools. But I think in particular, like you know, like Ohio State has probably only like three really losable games. And even those they shouldn't lose Michigan, uh, Penn state and Notre Dame. Right. But like Mm -hmm. if you're Michigan and you get through the schedule and you beat Ohio state, I mean, there's a decent chance that like you either have to, you either don't have to play them again or you can play them again and win in the, in the big 10 title. Well, no, you wouldn't have to play them. They're in the same division, right? So you beat Ohio state, you knock them out and then you, then you're done. But you also, you know, kind of inversely have the Ohio State win on your schedule, right? Which is sort of yeah. almost what, which, which is like the exact same scenario that we saw last year. But I think with Ohio State looking like they're going to be like the Death Star this year, I think offensively, uh, you actually have like there is an advantage to that where it's like if you win, you're good. And Michigan has a Michigan has a schedule that's sort of like meh outside of Ohio State, right? They play. Colorado State, Hawaii, Connecticut, Maryland in the first four games. Then when they get into the meat of the Big Ten play, they play uh, Iowa, Indiana, Penn State, Michigan State, Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, Ohio State. So other than those Penn State, the Penn State game and maybe the Ohio, the uh, Iowa game, like you probably should be going at least 11 and one. And if you spike up and have a 12 and 0 series, then it's a 12 and 0 season. Then it's just or an 11 and 0 season. Then it's just like win the game and then you're in. I mean, I think their path, much like Pat, I mean, kind of differently than Utah's, but their path is kind of equally simple, simple to Utah's where it's like you have enough challenge on that schedule and the biggest named game in the history of college football, right? The game that you don't really have to worry about your path. I'm, I'm rooting for Utah, mm-hmm. though. They're a fun team. They are a fun team. Well, I think. Is there anything else you want to throw in here right before we kind of wrap up our SEC preview? No, I I mean, I think, you know, obviously, I would hope that this is the worst of the two episodes, right? I I feel like (laughs) I I feel like my my ability to analyze, uh, you know, UGA football is way better than uh, general SEC football. But I think the big top line takeaway is that it is Alabama, Ohio State, UGA and then a gap. And I think that that's probably going mm-hmm. to be reflected in the SEC this year. I, I think that the SEC will be like a microcosm of that. And I will be interested to see. I think yeah. that you're going to see this sort of like, uh, you know, the. I think the SEC at the mid-level is going to be kind of like the two boxers or the two UFC fighters who knock each other, knock, knock each other out at the same time. Like, I, I, I kind of think mm-hmm. that that's what's going to happen is we're going to see this like round robin of losses. But yeah, that's about all I got. You want to you want me to take us out of here? Take us out. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, we'd love if you'd follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Chapel Bell Curve. If you really loved what you heard here today, you can join our aforementioned uh, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We would love to have you. For as little as $1 a month, you can join an amazing community that is currently actively trolling us as we record this. We will catch you in, I guess, Atlanta in Labor Day weekend, and we will catch you later this week at uh, at our UGA preview. Until then, go dogs! Go dogs! <laughs>